literally everyone to the right of Macron is, um, if you add up all these numbers, it's like 13, 16, it's 29, it's 3, 32, plus 13, it's what, like 45. So just to the right of Macron was like 45% yeah. of black Macron. Macron has his 26, so that's like a good 70% is like right slash Emmanuel Macron. Yeah, I mean it's not a pretty picture, let's face it. And so <laughs> the big the big the big sort of scandal of this election is obviously Zimor. Yeah. And we'll we should definitely The sort of Dracula point, looking kind of like his ears are fucking He looks like, like a sort of evil sort of elf, <laughs> you know. Um, um, yeah, with fucking, he's now, I mean, he's not even a candidate yet, or official candidate, he's officially declared his candidacy yet, and he's at 13%. I mean, some polls you said, like, he's already, He's like, above the, the FN, well, above, the RN, yeah, uh, like, it. above Marine Le Pen's party, like, yeah. um, I don't know, and then just, like, every single, like, left-wing, vaguely left-wing, all the way to the PS candidate is in the single digits. Yeah. About 2% for the Communist Party. Seven percent for Mélenchon, nine percent for the Greens, one uh, percent for fucking Arno Montebourg. <laughs> no one needs to know about. And then five percent for Annie Hidalgo, the PS candidate. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on here, Nick. Uh, well, it seems it would seem like the left were nowhere, um, and I mean, you know, also, you know, there's slightly in more more of the detail as well in the in the green primaries the two that got to the second round were the left-wing candidate who's close to la france insoumise and mélenchon and j'adore who's the right-wing guy yeah uh and j'adore took it what but like a few percentage points the result was like 1500 the vote margin was like 1500 so votes. now basically it means that the green candidate is a sort of a centrist so not you may, you, we yet to see, but he's not. Um, I he's don't, personally, I don't trust him. So. He's not like the candidate we <laughs> was talking about. But no, yeah, ecofeminism and ecosocialism. Yeah, yeah, which was uh, the one that went to the second round. Yeah, um, we'll also, I mean, one of the like, I think the story that's most depressing about the left these days in France. This last weekend, there was sort of this by-election in Trappes, um, which is this town like east or sorry west of paris where i guess the the results from 2020 the municipal elections from 2020 were invalidated this summer by the state council um because there was some like shit about basically the mass there the, the campaign for adi Rabat. um it was like um, they were handing out masks oh, during yeah. the first campaign which was during like the first wave of covid yeah, yeah. and they didn't include those masks as like campaign expenditures um so after the election was invalidated this this uh august um the socialist party joined a coalition behind the right-wing party the Républicains, to oust the sitting mayor who was i guess benoit hamon's like one of his the like, follower of benoit hamon who was the socialist party candidate at the last uh, presidential election and is from the left of the Socialist Party. Then he's not in the Socialist Party anymore. Right. So seriously, you have the Socialist Party that's the junior partner in this local coalition to oust one essentially like former le- like but one of their own, like, one of their own. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, but but he uh, Hamon's guy won. They yeah yeah he 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 won in the first round like the, 55, the, 45%, the PS right? Le Républicain coalition didn't. 
didn't triumph in the end. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably the that's probably the extent of the victories that have happened uh, in the in, you know sort of the last however long. Um, I mean, I guess that sort of brings us to the subject of this episode. Um, so I guess maybe first off, welcome back, guys. This is French Bashin. Um, welcome back. I'm Harrison. I'm Nick. Uh, this is episode four. Um, if you guys have tuned in before, you've gotten kind of an overview of the Macron moment in France. Um, kind of a dive into the new conservative nebulos around Eugénie Bastier um, and a lot of the intellectuals. And the new rights. Yeah, the new rights. Sort of, as they fashion themselves intellectuals. And last episode, we talked about sort of the right-wing media oligarch, Masson Bolloré. Um, the French Rupert Murdoch, sure, as, yeah. as we should be calling him. For... <laughs> Trademark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, but today, and sort of, I guess, over maybe a few episodes, we kind of wanted to shift our focus towards, I guess... The left? The left, yeah. Um, people we kind of agree with or yeah. have, it's, I guess. It's been nice reading something. It has been nice reading a book about <laughs> someone I admire. Yeah, um, yeah, and don't have disdain for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I guess, and to do that, um, we are sort of going to ground our discussion in... Uh, this book by this guy, you guys, some of you guys may have heard of, uh, named Didier Ribon. Um, and this is a memoir he wrote called Retour, uh, Returning to Haas. I think it came out in French, at least, in 2009. Yeah, and it, there's, a, there's definitely an English um, yeah, translation. Yeah, it came out a few years after that, I think. But yeah. uh, so you guys, if you want to read along. I would, I mean, we, I'm, sure I, I'm sure I can speak for you, Harrison, that we would both recommend yeah. This, but this is a, a beautiful yeah, book, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like so good in it. Yeah. <laughs> also very much like my mood. Right? Yeah, 100%. I think. I 100%. Yeah, it's definitely striking a chord. Yeah. I totally agree. Like, like it's kind of one of the, I mean, I think you, one of the times, one of the times we were talking about Eutern was like sort of the alpha omega of like sort of the like what left wing writers, what the fuck is going on? Books genre, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, it totally is. <laughs> but I guess it's as a book, it's I guess he it's a mixture of sort of non fiction uh, of uh, sorry autobiography, kind Sociolo- of intellectual history, sociological analysis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but specifically, it's sort of his coming of age, it's kind of his, a reflection on his coming of age story. Of, of him becoming the person he is today yeah, yeah. and coming from where he came from. Right. And you know, I sort of. Just yeah, you know, basically Eribon. If you haven't, if if you haven't heard of him, uh, is a, a quite impressive intellectual figure today. You yeah. know, he's written a lot of. He's he sort of the was essentially the official biographer of Foucault. He you know knew all those guys, all those guys <laughs> personally, uh, and like he's written books on like the neoconservative turn in France on yeah. uh, sort of like the gay the reflections on the gay question is yeah. another one of his books. He's, gay, he's a like gay guy as well. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the books I've been talking about his, his book about Jean Genet is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's kind of a reply to Sartre's book. Oh, really? um, on Genet, but um, yeah. So he's I guess a sociologist today. He teaches at Amiens, I think, at yeah. the University of Amiens. Yeah. But in kind of the 90s, he was, he's, his academic career actually started in the United States. And he, no, I don't think he fully had a PhD. Um, mm. He was sort of invited, I think, and he taught at Berkeley because um, yeah. he had kind of, for mostly journalism, he had kind yeah. of climbed the ranks in France um, mm. and sort of established a reputation as a writer on a lot of sort of the French theorists of yeah. the 80s, yeah. 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. Um, but this book is sort of, it's, 
it's from a different moment. This is him looking at his own life and this is him looking back in his sort of what his fifties, I guess. Yeah, looking back at his political generation, absolutely. Yeah. I think this um, is absolutely... And what sort of set it off actually is this book is. I mean, it's very personal. It's very hard to read. I mean, it's, it's extremely wrenching to read. Yeah. Absolutely. And what sets it off? It's it's about I guess him coming to terms with the death of his father. Um, um, and sort of overlaid with that is his reflection on the gulf that had come to separate him from his entire kind of childhood family milieu. Um, Sorens, I guess, is a city in like eastern France, uh, northern France, um, to, like made the major city in like the Champagne region. Mm. Um, um, and it's a work. I mean, it was a working class. It's a, It's got had industry. It had like lots of right, sort of. Right. It's where the champagne right, is right, made. Right, and he, right. I mean, like his family, is a sort of classic French working class communist family. Right. He was born in 1953. Yeah. And so you know his family was already probably three generations communist. Yeah. Uh, he has a portrait of his granddad at some point in the book, which is just hilarious. Which is just like. His granddad was just communist in the way that bourgeois are right wing. It just, you know, followed from itself. Yeah. It was like the way that you inherit genes. You just mm. are communist. Mm. Mm. Um, and, uh, but sort of to come back to what you were saying, which is how this is all set off, is his dad dies. And he has to go back to sort of see his family, who he's estranged himself from yeah. for, Definitely. I mean, the rest, the whole of his life since yeah. he left, right. you right. know, and... So I guess when his when his father passes away, he goes back uh, to, uh, to 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 visit his mother, um, whom he he did keep in touch with. He I guess would speak by phone occasionally. His parents actually, I can sort of, from what I've gathered reading the book, like in like the seventies, maybe early eighties, they would visit everyone's grandmother who did live in Paris. Um, and we can maybe speak. She has an interesting story of herself, and we should get to her. But when he goes back to visit. His mother, um, as his father is, like, his father had Alzheimer's, um, yeah. and so he's in, I guess, hospice care. Um, and essentially, the, a lot of the book is structured around Aribon, like looking at photos with his mom of and sort of old sort of family artifacts. Yeah. Um, I mean, like clearly, the way the book was written is he would go back, and then on leaving, he would fill his journal with like right, his experiences and, and how he felt. And you can see yeah. that that's like yeah. the material of right, right. of of the of the of, of the book. Right, you know, right, right. It's his own sort of like yeah. emotional reactions to all this sort of experience. Yeah, of going yeah. back, you know, yeah. uh, going back to this place which he had like forced himself to forget about right and he'd rejected yeah you know for decades now and just... rejected but also i mean rejected it was part of him becoming i mean emancipating himself yeah, too because it is i mean it's a very beautiful kind of story in the life of i guess the second half of the 20th century gay man um, yeah. sort of who transcended i guess you know, the sexual liberations of the 60s 70s um who was like undoubtedly I guess beneficiary of a lot of the like those, I guess unfinished revolutions um, from that period, and he, I mean, he, him becoming who he was and affirming who he was as a person. I think I mean he's he's a bit that that process was fundamentally him also he had to live I mean, he was he had to leave yeah well there's that wonderful um, quote where he's like. Um part of me coming out the closet as like a gay man was 
also part of me getting back in getting in the closet socially like as a working class yeah, person yeah, yeah. because i mean i guess what we haven't explicitly spoken about so far is that part of him getting out of that place where he grew up this place of poverty and misery and so on that he describes uh is education and also this sort of the bourgeois culture of education and yeah, so he yeah. he forced himself to be bourgeois so he could integrate these places that he wanted to be mm. and that meant this sort of you know suppression mm. of this other part of himself but also you know he sp- and he speaks about it so candidly and sort of like mm. brutally about himself where he he you know he um he says that yeah i did do that and 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 at the time i i, I couldn't, couldn't imagine of doing anything better exactly, you know yeah. that I, I i took joy in it, it yeah. you know um, yeah and i mean so the book put it this way the book is a sort of incredibly sort of how should you say like uh lucid self-critique a sort of autobiographical analysis of his life and him estranging himself from the working class which is his background mm. and how that runs parallel with the left estranging itself right, from the right, working class right. and there's this sort of historical personal parallel which he sort of an- analyzes throughout right. the book uh, because of course, um, and I don't know if uh, the other. I guess the other. Maybe if I can um, interrupt you here. Like the other, I think his father's death is the one of the media contexts of his mm-hmm. writing the book. But the sort of larger picture, this is very much the sort of post two thousand two moment in, 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 in France. This is after Jean Marie Le Pen has gone to the second gone round. to the second round in two thousand two. This book came out a few years after that, and he had already written a book in the immediate aftermath of 2002, but this is more sort of reflective story about it. But basically, his, I mean, his family... Who, and it was a said, peak were, Sarkozy. Yeah, yeah, this is a peak Sarkozy moment. I mean, the yeah. French right, at least presidentially, has been in power from, at this point, 1995 to, to 2007, yes, 8, 9. Um, and his family, PCF voters, yeah. throughout his childhood, are now, I guess... Voting for the FN or voting right wing. Right, I think it's I think he, when he, his mom in two thousand two, like voted for the Pen in the first round, he says, and then voted for Chirac um, against him. Um, so this, I guess, that is I think the other big kind of yeah. I mean, like so, this. yeah, exactly. So the, the sort of historical personal arc is about the transformation of this place that he grew up in, mm. and his sort of estrangement from it and the fact the feeling that he doesn't know it anymore and that he doesn't recognize it yeah. and also and that obviously runs parallel to the sort of the arc as he sees it of the right. left at least he's talking about France the left in many ways estranging itself from working class politics and embracing elite politics mm, mm. and then and and you know being in this situation now which to be honest you know this book was written 12 years ago now but it's incredibly I mean like it's incredibly still current Mm, like mm. this feeling that there's this wave of right wing ascendancy Mm, you mm. know and that you're losing people you know you know you know so these these you know we talk we talk about the red wall in Britain but like we're talking people who were card carrying communists whose parents were communists whose grandparents were communists becoming over the course of their lives and their kids becoming far right. Um, and so, you know, and he, and he has these really painful lines where he's talking about like, you know, it's easy enough to say that you're not going to shake someone's hand who would vote FN and you're not going to, but 
what about when they're your family? What do you do then? You know, mm-hmm. and so he, you know, he clearly has, you know, th- this whole uh, politics refracted through through family gives like a really allows him to be incredibly nuanced mm-hmm. when he talks about politics, mm-hmm. and it's really quite. Yeah, he has this. Yeah, he has this wonderful discourse. The way that politics mm-hmm. is is sort of threaded into the book is 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 really mm-hmm. really wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think it's also. It says that you said it is extremely, even though it is about 12 years old or so, this book. Um, and it has so many resonances, resonances with today. But also, I mean, in his writings about his, his, I guess, his family's origins, or his, at least in his time when he was living in, in, in Reims, I mean, he doesn't idealize either. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, I think, similar books to this. Like, I think of someone like, I mean, Journalists I like. I mean, I think of someone like Thomas Frank, who's a contemporary American journalist. Um, I wonder if a lot of similar kind of reflections out on sort of the left's lost the working class. At what point can it also lapse into a certain sentimentalism about yeah. this past? Yeah. And Eribon, like it's not. Oh, he's totally not sentimental whatsoever. Totally. I mean, he is someone who could not be who he is Unless today. He's... To a certain degree, without some of this estrangement, I mean, without yeah. some of this oh, rupture. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But he's now doing the thinking of how are we actually going to change this situation? Tie this back together. Yeah. What are the sort of tactical decisions or rhetorical choices we're going to have to make mm. to rebuild these ties? I mean, either he doesn't have the answers, but I think he he's, gives a few elements. I think he's circling know. around some of the reflections. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I guess. His whole sort of forgetting, I, so I guess we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get on to, I think that, so one of the really sort of interesting threads is the whole forgetting the left, uh, forgetting the working class, mm. right? And so in his life, you know, <coughs> Harrison's mentioned that, you know, he says that he couldn't be who he is today unless he'd sort of torn himself out. Mm. And, you know, he there's so much sort of, you know, there's so many interesting passages about, the sort of psychological process that he went through, and there's all that. There's, like, there's like, yeah, and there's that, like, those wonderful uh, pages on, ha- like, this his relationship with that boy at school right, who right, was bourgeois. Right. Because, you know, Eribon was the first in his family to, to even, go, to school, even go to high school. Right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and, and he would learn from these boy. He was obviously in love with this boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were like maybe 14, 15, or whatever. Um, and you know he like he would say even today like my handwriting carries mm. co- uh, imitations that I've sort of mm. that I took from him to sort of build mm. my bourgeois personality. Mm. Um, and like his uh, first appreciation of literature he got through this through this guy. All of, like, he was kind of the music class. Yeah. Um, and sort of his how anxious and how ashamed he felt of himself when mm. when this boy's hands shot up because mm. I think. I gathered they had these classes where they were like just listening to classical pieces yeah. and the students just had to be like, oh, that's... I know that. Yeah, that's <laughs> Chopin. Um, and obviously that's something that clearly favors yeah. those with a certain degree of sort of cultural capital. Um, and Eribon just, he remembers these moments as, I mean, that I know that that put kind of a fire in me yeah. for that world as well. Um, and, and so it, his self-discovery also came with, he associated that with a certain kind of self-embourgeoisement and I mean like the the whole sort of this whole process of him becoming be like in a sense the book is a sort of analysis of 
the determinisms to which you were subjected and how certain things didn't weren't possible for him certain things didn't happen and certain mm. things didn't happen and how certain things did happen to mm. him and in a sense this whole this whole forgetting the working class forgetting that he the fact that he was working class shedding it mm. like in a way for him was like a way of getting rid of certain of those determinisms almost you know because obviously everyone knows that in a situation if you reveal yourself to have like a certain working class accent people can you know might think that you're this that or the other and that is a that is an objective constraint in a social situation mm. he was obviously aware of that he gives you a really useful kind of like toolkit for self-critique oh yeah he I mean, draws on the instruments of critical theory for this rigorous self-critique right. of himself because i mean we've been talking about him forgetting you know this whole sort of conscious deliberate forgetting of part of who he mm. was and whatever but the a lot of the book is about is this sort of really lucid kind of brutal self-criticism mm. of himself and in a way you know like yeah the way that he he essentially had contempt for that place mm. you know um and the way that he you know of course there isn't a, an exact parallel in between his willing his sort of willing the estrangement with with the, with his origins with the working class and the left doing it you right. know in particular right. the, the socialist party i think he would say mm. um but you know that's what i guess i've mentioned this before but the space that family space it allows for somehow an exploration of the problem which feels so much more intimate you know it's not it you know you can feel there's the anguish of the the sort of the left in mm, a sense mm. you know in the way that he feels about it and he take I mean, he, he does take some pretty big swipes against I mean, he calls out Deleuze in one of my one of my favorite yeah, yeah, yeah. points. He, he calls out Deleuze and um, who gave what sounds like a really just sort of dumb definition of what it means to be left to be left wing, yeah, 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 which yeah. is like perceiving the world first and whatever that really means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, whereas I mean, Eribon's reconstruction of what sort of I guess left wing politics and his childhood meant it literally was just we want like more. We want more material comfort. We want mm. our immediate sort of lives to be better, better and have more dignity. Yeah. Um, not sort of those who perceive, quote, perceive the horizon <laughs> is yeah. Deleuze's definition of well, like, I get être de gauche. His um, whole, you know, the, the sort of impressiveness of this book is there's this sort of like so many self-critiques going on. Like there's, he uses the, 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 the sort of concepts of uh, critical theory but he also to critique himself but he also uses his own experience to criticize the sort of certain assumptions of mm. critical theory or certain thinkers he makes the point that i actually know the working class and i know who people in my family are like and i you know okay so we need to be clear here that he is both aware and as we are that there are parts of the working class and currents in the working class that are racist and not racist as as there are in all other sorts of uh, parts of society but as it happened his family uh, not only was voting for the FN and stuff towards the end of the 21st century at the beginning of the 21st century um, but was also had always kind of been racist you know when they were voting communist when they were you know voting for parties that were anti-imperialist you know uh, they were also 
racist. You know, yeah. he would hear racial the slurs. Family in the apartment block. Yeah, he would hear racial slurs in his house all the time, you know. Um, and I guess one of his most interesting things that he has to say in terms of the, the way that the whole family intimacy allows to explore this, um, a good point that he makes, uh, sort of, is that the fact that before it was there, mm. but political preoccupations were elsewhere, and that now it's st the political preoccupations have just shifted to this to, to, to that something that was already there means that they can be shifted elsewhere. That there isn't that these opinions and these prejudices aren't the don't need to be the object of our polit of our mm. politics. Mm. The object of our politics is making the political preoccupations not be those mm. things. Mm. We're not here to completely eradicate that. We're not here to you know target the opinion per se. Mm. We are here to shift political preoccupations mm, mm. and that I think that was sort of one concrete quite mm. interesting take mm. that he had mm. um, I mean one of my favorite like formulations in the book and this is him describing and sort of comparing I guess on the one hand yeah that the fact that when he was a kid sort of as an adolescent in the 60s early 70s yeah his family voted Communist Party but yeah sure he heard racial slurs he heard his parents making fun of Arab families in their neighborhood, um, down the streets. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, they had this sort of positive affirmation. And it's yeah. what he describes as the, at, at the end of the day, they were able to make a positive affirmation of who they were and what they stood for when they voted for the Communist Party. Yeah. Um, I mean, say what you will about the Communist Party and what it actually like. It's full political identities, but nonetheless, that for him, and it was an affirmation of who they are opposed to yeah. and what they stand for. Whereas his description of the the National Front is it's purely I mean a, it's a, a negative self affirmation. Mm. Um, this is I think to get to what you were saying about yeah how to sort of shift attention. Mm. Um, I mean and also let's not forget that the the PCF the Communist Party uh, was in people's lives. I mean there's a passage where he describes you know what a communist family is and you know it was everyone in his family. His mom, his dad, his granddad, his mom's brothers and sisters, his dad's brothers and sisters, and you know, and and so on, going to communist party meetings every every month, mm. you know, and obviously, I mean, for anyone who knows anything about the history of the PCF, like they they had a real implantation in communities. They had like all sorts of social services, kind of like you know, and community mm. services done out of them, cultural kind of like you know. Mm. So like, you know, it's not just that the left as you say, the left is no longer the space of the questioning, the, the questioning that the working class need to do. Yeah. Uh, it's also that, you know, we, there isn't like the institute, the, there's no longer the institutions to mobilize the energies and desires mm. of, of, of working class people. And then, you know, you say the same about Britain, you know, the trade unions used to fulfill that role. You know, they would have lots of these things, those social programs, things like that. Mm. You know, that's no longer the case for, you know, historical reasons that I'm sure mm. many people are aware of. And, you know, I guess, the, you know, there's a, yeah, I guess there's a sort of tragic almost element to his book. Definitely. I think some of the, like a lot of the anecdotes that I really enjoyed were some, mm. where he's kind of, yeah, he's clearly trying to recover also just like the dignity in his parents that mm. was never fully able to kind of take form somewhat. I mean... He is more forgiving of his, of his mom, but some of the great, I mean, some of my favorite scenes are when he's describing his dad in like the 60s, 70s, and he's 
describes in like must have been I don't know 75, 76, 77 when Giscard d'Estaing was on, on TV and how his dad would just scream at the television. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just like absolute hatred for this just extremely this pompous l- and arrogant like, liberal like giraffe. Like, um, or that the moment when I guess because like the young Eribon like loved to kind of he would kind of, and he knows, he remembers that he kind of did like to, I mean, as we discussed a bit, d- display, display his, his intellectualism and his, his superiority. Right, so he yeah. would read like Le Mans. Oh, this is, this is my favorite, <laughs> this is my favorite yeah. one from the whole book. Um, and his dad, like, it's like, Didier, what the fuck are you reading? That's like a priest's No, 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 yeah, no, 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 he <laughs> describes the scene, his dad just like, fuming, unable to express why he was so angry yeah. with his son, and sitting there in silence and then getting up and saying you're reading a priest's newspaper there because of course in France uh, the working class traditionally at least in those days were militantly quite atheists you know, he describes you know, that his dad wouldn't set foot in, in, in a church and only the women would occasionally for like funerals and, and things like that. Um, and that, I mean, like that was, that's true with my, with my grand, with my grandma and her sort of family, like no one would set foot in the, in, in, in the church and stuff, which I guess is maybe a bit more difficult for Anglo-Saxons to understand mm. as a sort of, as a sort of cultural phenomenon. Mm. Um, Conservatism, or as he would put it, Raymond Aron, yeah. who was a, he's a sort of liberal French thinker, um, and there's these great passages in the book mm. where he he takes up the, these lines that this, this point that Aron makes against Marx, of course, which is that because Aron is Weber over Marx, and he makes this point, you know, Aron makes this point that yeah, like you know, class is just a concept, and there is no class consciousness a priori. And so on and so forth, all, all sort of quite established for Barry and Yeah, the reality of class is a fact, but yeah. there is no reality of class consciousness. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Eribon, you know, tells stories of him having to go with his mother while she cleaned, you know, bourgeois families' homes and being like, I knew that I was in a subordinate position. Mm. I knew that me and my family and where I lived were in a subordinate position mm. and sort of throws it back in Alan's face that actually the only way that you cannot be aware mm. is when you're at the top. 
the reason that someone like Aron or anyone else for that matter thinks that there is no reality of class consciousness is because they've never been in a position of subordination as other classes have been and that for him it was visceral and for mm. everyone he knew it was visceral mm. it's also really I think one of the nice things about the book is it's a great like introduction to kind of late 20th century I guess French intellectual life I think mm. like that you have Aron um, mm. for like closer to uh, Ribon uh, I guess you have of course Bourdieu and the method of this book is very much Bourdieu's yes. very um, much so I mean like um, that's basically that's the, the sociological part of this book is this model of looking at the determinisms you're subjected to, the constraints you're subjected to, and how that determined what was possible at mm. given moments, mm. and how that turned you in certain directions, mm. and so on and so forth. There is also a, a critique of, uh, of Bourdieu, though. Like, I mean, sure, he, he has like, enormous respect and appreciation, and also has similar sort of life story. Like, Bourdieu was from, uh, like, sort of, I think, down in, like, Cabinet, like working class. Yeah, Bourdieu's really working class. But well, yeah. Bourdieu wrote a similar book. Like I, I'm not sure if it's been translated in English. Oh, but, it's um, like Esquisse d'une autocritique. Yeah, so autoanalyse, sort of like yeah. the sketch of a self-portrait. Yeah, so yeah, it, was yeah. one of, it came out like either just before, or right after his death, mm-hmm. uh, in the early 2000s. But Bourdieu and and, I, and Ribon analyzes this when he is talking about his own sexuality. But Bourdieu was kind of prudent. Or he qu- quotes from Bourdieu's own book about himself. and um, Saying that Bourdieu, Bourdieu had... was rather prudish about kind of and sexuality. Had, and had integrated a sort of these sort of homophobic assumptions from his own milieu. But, you know, he, yeah. him and Bourdieu are friends. Of course, of Bourdieu, course, yeah, yeah. you know, he says in the book, yeah. you know, Bourdieu died before he could make the changes that he told me he was going to make. Right, right, Reflecting right. these yeah. things. Yeah. And then, of course, Bourdieu passed away yeah. and, and it got published as a sort of like... Um, What's the word uh, after you die post posthumously? Mm, mm. But I guess maybe more I think interesting as a kind of intro slash yeah kind of personal insider history on late twentieth century or second half of the twentieth century French ideas is kind of the Sartre Foucault like kind of dichotomy that you have in the book. Like mm. who are these are I guess. Bourdieu, I think, is the method for 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 um, for Ribon in a lot of respects. But I think his like heart is like kind of torn between South and Foucault as a kid, and his discovery of ideas and like intellectual uh, intellectual life was through South. Yes. He was obsessed with him as a high school yeah. student. His yeah. like first kind of political. Um, engagements um, as like a young like Trotskyist or like yeah like um, Marxist militant, communist militant was at was through South his yeah. his love um, for ideas that was it um, and, and his, radical freedom right um, and Foucault for him came later it was an op- like obviously yeah Foucault's big decade is a lot of stuff the seventies yeah. um, for the postmodern turn um, and then yeah his he he. As yeah, you mentioned, he wrote a biography of, of Foucault um, uh, a few years after Foucault's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, I don't know, the, the kind of uh, a classic narrative or just sort of the classic narrative about the French left's decline, about the French left's own decline, is, yeah, the sort of is the postmodern term, right? It's the shift from Marxism, from class-based 
analysis, political discourses towards sort of, yeah, postmodern. Erebon's own life, I think, straddles this. Mm. And it's a reflection on that turn. And I think he, one of the advantages of the book is he tries to work towards kind of a synthesis of Sartre and Foucault. Like, well, yeah, it's what we've, exactly, it's what we've just spoken about, how, like, in a sense, determinism is true, but in many ways, what, what makes freedom possible is that there are, how should you say, you, you can create in ways your own determinisms, you know, you can create yourself both, both individually and collectively. And um, as he mentions that when he first read Foucault, he was like, well, what's this stuff that isn't Marxism and therefore is dog shit? <laughs> You know, he read all the sort of Foucault's anguish about domination and oppression and sort of all this stuff. He sort of, he identified with that a lot because of the fact that ultimately, you know, sort of the, the, the underpinnings for it were the experiences of being sort of like a gay man in like 60s France, you know. Yeah. Um, if this book were written today, like, I feel like it would somewhat be enrolled in like the ongoing identity politics debate yeah it would it would have to contain an intervention somewhat into that debate right. even though it like so no the focus of the book is his sort of relate social relationship with his class origins yeah right that and and how that sort overlaid of, with his sexual uh, self overlaid with this sort of like exactly yeah. and the the history of the left as he is part of it is there an implicit critique of a sort of a campus politics? Yes, of course there is, right? I mean, it's part of the whole self-critique dimension of the book, which is that he was part of a sort of maybe cultural turn in the, in in the interests of critical intellectuals and politics, mm. you know? Um, and he sort of, he doesn't back down from that. And, you know, what, what, there's a really good line... Um, where he says that it was always going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's not like it was a choice per se. It right. was always, it had to happen. Right, right. Um, but on that same level, he sort of, he's clearly, I mean, he doesn't say it, but he clearly sort of positions himself, he's, put it this way, he's much more, con he's self-critical about the scope of the kind of, post-68 politics, which was his generation's, mm. to solve the problem of the estrangement of the left from the mm. working class. Mm. Mm. Put it that way. Yeah. And also, this guy was, I mean, he is one of the exemplar like intellectuals of like the French theory generation. Yeah. Um, he was kind of one of the vulgarizers of it, maybe. Like, he's not necessarily on the level of sort of, you know, Foucault or, no, 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 or something like not. that. But... I mean, he was sort of its yeah, court historian or its sort of inner yeah. kind of conscience. Inner sanctum historian. Um, and he, I mean, this is kind of, I, I find it hard not to read this as sort of like a mea culpa or something of a confession or a, a kind of a, that is done and there's now the work to be done of actually sort of rebuilding some sort of, I don't know, what I call it, just like purely this mass politics. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, I, he's not explicit about that because obviously he, I mean, he is not. But I think the way he expresses it in a lot of ways is by the, a lot of the guilt he clearly feels and, and expresses in this book, mm. you know, because when, when he's talking about his youth and trying to not become, not be working class and to try and become bourgeois, mm. he talks about shame, you know, he's ashamed of being working class and so he tries as hard as he can to not be. Mm. And then later on in the book, it's, you get more of a, not, 
maybe guilt isn't the right word, but a sort of sense of responsibility, mm. you know? And that clearly includes his entire critical theory, milieu, generation, you know, uh, and, and post-68 generation as well. You know, he, you know, I think Harrison's already mentioned, but, you know, he has a totally unromanticized image of the working class, and he's totally critical of people who do. Mm. Um, and, you know, even he described sort of his experience in post-68 politics, and he was like, the irony is, is that his in, he was a sort of Trotskyist militant uh, in his youth, uh, that he felt that that, the act of becoming Trotskyist and reading Marx and Trotsky and la da and doing all this stuff and seeing the working class in a certain way mm. uh, was actually part and part, part of his embourgeoisement, you know, it was part of him becoming a bit more bourgeois, you know, because, and, and so like, you know, this sort of feeling through, toward, you know, towards the, maybe the later life chapters is one of sort of, yeah, responsibility. Like, we actually have to think what to do now. Mm. Um, and that's when, you know, the, his his sort of point that I think we touched upon earlier of it's not about suppressing and going after an opinion. It's about shifting the political preoccupations of working class people. Mm. Um, you know, because... Into, again, such, I mean, into, so that... And you People know, the, politics is again. I mean, as he would put it, it's an expression of it's a positive affirmation yeah. of sort of self, as opposed to the sort of defensive yeah. retrenchment. I, I mean, I imagine American and and British leftists listening to this and being like, "Oh my God!" Like his entire family was, was communist, and everyone was communist that he grew up with, and there was you know it was this sort of working class communist block. But what he sort of puts his finger on is that. What, what, even though you might have had racists in the Communist Party, mm. they voted in complete, like, against what that racist opinion right. was. Right. You know, they were voting against that yeah. for one reason or another. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what you need to achieve is that people are always going to be voting against something in their sort of, in their sort of. Imaginaire, I mean, in their imaginaire, in their sort of configuration of how they perceive their interests and so on. Right. You know, you're always making a choice. We need, we need a kind of lucid uh, perspective like that. Yeah. Um, because, because I don't know, I feel like, you know, that the rediscovery of, of, of left-wing politics and history in our generation is often done among people that but not for, through no fault of their own, but just because their societies have just been sort of purged of leftist political culture. You know, rediscover all these histories, and there's an inevitably going to be a certain romanticization, a certain mm -hmm. idealization, and also it's a product of you know the positions that we're in and so on. Either is, and he like sort like, of breaks through that a little bit, I think. So even know? like thirty, I mean, these are the this this, and like even maybe thirty percent of the working class and the, yeah. at its peak would be going for the Communist Party. Yeah. So it's not even. This idea of in the past, what made the France what made sort of French politics work as if it ever did properly mm. work, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is clearly not the case. Yeah. As again, this book shows is yeah, what makes what made French politics work was the fact that oh, every working class person in the country voted for the Communist Party, which just no, again, yeah, yeah, not true. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I guess also you know another point that he makes is that. The, the fact that all these things coexisted, all these different opinions, racist, anti-imperialist, so on, right, in the working class that he knew, in any case, um, 
shows that, I mean, like, yeah, the point you make is that in struggle, these things can coexist, not even coexist, but just become subsumed in solidarity. Right. And so, like, not only do you need, you know, and this is his, his critique of Ranciere and all his critique of essentially the critical intellectuals in many ways is to say, no, actually, parties are important, guys. Because without parties or with parties, you sort of drift off. What you get is a fucking a fascist part of the working class. Mm. And unless you, as parties, as political institutions, able to like shift discourse, mm. do intervene at the level of the political preoccupation, of mm. shifting the pre- political preoccupations of the working class, you know, you're going to get what the situation that we're in. And also, if you don't have, if, if you sort of struggle is suppressed, you know, because it's only in struggle that new kind of spaces mm. uh, of possibility are created and where sort of authentically a racist opinion or someone who has a racist opinion can coexist with someone mm. who is an anti-racist or whatever because in fact solidarity subsumes it because the struggle sort of takes precedence and you know it's a sort of I guess especially at this point in 2009 you know he's feeling like you know not much struggle the parties are nowhere is that that different to today? Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about it for the 2010s over, Nick. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. The 2010s are decisively over. I mean, even if even if COVID hadn't happened and we would have maybe gotten like a, a long 2010s or some shit, like, I still think it'd be... I mean, def- obviously COVID put a, put, a fucking, put a nail in that car, the last nail in that car, for sure. Um, should we maybe call it that? Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks guys. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. Bonsoir.